good to see you here on Christmas Eve. I, I want to jump right into the story you came to hear, but I want to focus on a character that doesn't get a lot of our attention, to be honest with you. In fact, this person is right in the middle of Luke chapter 2, the same place where we read about Mary and Joseph and Caesar Augustus and the shepherds, and yet I've never seen this person being honored in anybody's nativity set. It's interesting because, you know, the Magi, historians tell us they didn't actually get to Jesus till he was about a year old, and yet most all of us have the wise men in our nativity set. But there's this other little lady, 84 years old, sweet little church lady, who saw Jesus when he was one month old, and I've never seen a nativity set with a little old lady in it. So some of y'all need to fix that after today. Her name's Anna, and we get her story in Luke chapter 2, this sweet little 84-year-old church lady who sees Jesus. Before I read about Anna, i got to tell you something that happened last Sunday. Our, our kids' ministry, every Sunday they've got kids' ministry happening upstairs while we're doing church downstairs, and I, I just thank God for all of our kids' workers. Even today, they're working hard, serving families upstairs, and... Yeah. This Sunday, the 26th, they've got, a big, they've got a big Christmas party planned. It's going to be a fun day. Well, last Sunday, the kids had the opportunity to quote a verse that they've been trying to memorize during this Christmas season. And it's not an easy verse to quote. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and it's a mouthful. I'll show it to you. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, last Sunday, one of the little girls, uh, it was her turn to try to quote the verse. She got it word perfect except for one part. She said, and he will be called Wonderful Casserole. I love that. In fact, I couldn't help but think as I was reading this text, I'm going to read a bit of the wonderful casserole. Yeah. And not just gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Like somebody could have brought a snack, you know. But her story is recorded in Luke chapter 2, verse 36 and 37. This is the moment. It's about 40 days after Jesus is born. As was customary, Mary and Joseph, the parents, were bringing an offering to the temple for their firstborn child. And it says in verse 36, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but she worshiped night and day fasting, and praying. So a little two-verse biography, but we learn a lot. We learn her age, that she loved the Lord, she worshiped night and day, even fasted and prayed, never left the temple. We know that she was filled with the Holy Spirit, that she operated in the gift of prophecy. But I want to tell you today that what's more important than what she did before she met Jesus is what she does when she meets Jesus. And the next verse, Luke 2.38, tells the whole story. And it really tells the whole message I want to bring to you today. Look at it with me. Coming up to them at that very moment, 
she gave thanks to God and she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Three things about Anna. Number one, she was seeking Jesus without hesitation. Number two, she was worshiping God without reservation. And three, she testified to all without limitation. In this one verse, Anna demonstrates some of the greatest qualities that we like to see in the other more popular characters of the Christmas story. Let me just talk you through it. Number one, without hesitation. This woman worshiped God. Night and day, the Bible says, all the time. She was in church, she was praying, she was fasting. In essence, she was the epitome of a church lady. I mean, all the things you would expect of a little saintly grandmother in the house of God, that's Anna. That's what she did. But I'll be honest with you, all of those things that she did are not the reason she's in the Christmas story. The reason she's in this story in Luke's gospel is because of what she did in the moment when Jesus came close. It said, at that very moment, without hesitation, when she was in the proximity of the Savior of the world, she moved towards him. And I want to say, there is a window of opportunity for you and I to move towards God's presence. There's there's a moment. I don't know how many moments you'll have. I don't know how many Christmas Eve services you've been to, but I can tell you the Bible says no man's guaranteed tomorrow. I just did a funeral on Tuesday of this week. I'm reminded that we have a moment. We have an opportunity to take advantage of when we get within reach of Jesus and and Anna took that opportunity. What, what I love about her is what we see in the Magi. You know, in Matthew chapter 2, we see their story, and, and I love th- their own confession. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2, the Magi said this. They said, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Not we saw his star and then we decided to, you know, to study it out and have a conference and think about it. No, we saw his star when it, when it rose. When it rose, we decided to come. You know, scholars tell us that the Magi probably traveled 900 miles to get to the place where Jesus was. Now, I know a lot of times we think, you know, three wise men because three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But, but that's, <clears throat> that's probably not accurate. They did bring three gifts, but it was more likely a caravan. So imagine the logistics of, of trying to, to pack enough resources and material for a whole caravan of people to make a 900-mile journey across the desert with expensive gifts, risking being attacked or robbed. They had lots of reasons that they could have said, you know what, I think we're, we're going to just skip out. You know, let's just send a card. There are lots, lots of reasons to not make the journey. But they did. They made the journey. They came all the way to the place where the baby was And can I say that's how it is for us? Friends, you're not going to get everywhere God wants you to be in a day. For them, it took 900 miles. For Anna, it was 84 years. But one of these days, you're going to get to the place where you can be close to Jesus. And can I tell you, every journey begins with one step. One step that says, without hesitation, this is my moment, this is my opportunity, I'm going to step towards Jesus. And that's my heart's desire, that you would hear on this Christmas Eve, you would put your faith in motion. 
that you would put faith in motion, that you would recognize the, the hour of your visitation, and without hesitation, you would seek the Lord while he is near. 33 years after Anna meets baby Jesus in the temple, Jesus comes back into the temple. This time he's riding on a donkey's colt. People are waving palm branches and they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Many of you remember that moment. It was Palm Sunday. Jesus is, with all the fanfare and everyone's excitement, he comes into the city and then he does something. Chapter 19 in verse 41, he says, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. Can you picture it in your mind? Jesus is weeping as he looks over the city. And then he begins to speak to the city. He says, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now, it's been hidden from your eyes. The day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. And encircle you. And hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls. He's talking about what actually would happen 30 years from this moment. In the year AD 70, Titus, the Roman general, came in with his troops and surrounded the city. And they destroyed it brick by brick. No stone was left unturned. In fact, they brought plows in to to uproot the foundation of the temple. And Jesus, 30 years prior, prophesied and said in verse 44, they will leave no one stone on another. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Can I encourage us to recognize the time we're in? To recognize the the moment that we have. The opportunity to come close to Jesus without hesitation while he may be found. The second thing I love about Anna is that she worshiped God without reservation. Look at verse 38 again. It says, coming up to them at the very moment, what'd she do? She gave thanks to God. Now, honestly, I, I think we can probably all assume that if, that was us in that moment, we would give thanks to God too. I mean, the moment that you actually see God face to face. You know, the Bible says one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I would hope that even the most sinful person in this room, in that moment, if you saw God face to face, you'd worship him. But what I love about Anna's story is that this was not an exceptional moment. This was not a unique, isolated moment event because the verse right before that that we read said that she was in the house of the Lord day and night night and day she worshiped God she fasted she prayed in fact it said in verse 37 she never left the temple so I want to ask you do you only worship God when he shows up for you because that's how a lot of people are like God if you'll come through I'll give you a shout out here and there but do you worship God because of what he does for you Or do you worship God for who he is? Because worship is not our response to what God does. Worship is our response to who God is. And that's what I love that that Anna embodies, but I also love that we see that in Mary, the mother of Jesus. You remember the story in Luke 1, one chapter before this, and, and she's there and the angel comes to her and he says, greetings, highly favored. He says she's highly favored. For those of you that that know the story, you know that 
you know, Mary's a young teenager, and this angel is about to tell her that you're going to conceive a child of the Holy Spirit. Now, put yourself in the story for a moment. All of a sudden, she's trying to make sense of how is this going to happen? How, how am I going to explain to my family, to my friends, that I'm pregnant? How am I going to explain to Joseph, my fiance, that I'm with child? We've never been together. And, and honestly, she probably didn't feel highly favored in that moment. She probably felt highly inconvenienced. You ever been there where you just thought, Lord God, I don't know what you're doing, but this was not on my calendar. That's why I love Mary's response. Verse 38 of chapter 1 tells us her response to the angel. And she said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. I just wonder if any of us are withholding our worship for the moments when God works things out the way that we wanted him to. Or if we would just be so willing to say, God is God. I'm not. He does all things well. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I'm going to worship God for who he is. Without hesitation, she said, God, I surrender completely. Let your word be established and fulfilled in my life. Can I tell you, today is the day to worship God without reservation. The third thing that we see in Anna's life is that she told people, about the Messiah without limitation. One more time, look at verse 38 of chapter two. It says, she gave thanks to God and she spoke about the child to all. Now listen, when you get good news, it's normal to wanna tell people about it, right? I mean, when you've got something good that's happened in your life, you should want to share it with others. I've never understood why we as Christians sometimes think that telling people about Jesus is the high bar of Christianity. Like, oh, if, if you're a witness, I mean, if you tell people that God saved your life, redeemed your soul, you must be like one of those super spiritual Christians. No, listen, friends, it is normal. It is normal when you receive good news to want to tell somebody about that good news. You don't have to be the spiritually elite and to be a witness. And that, that's why I love not only that Anna does this, but I love that we see this reflected in one of the more famous characters in Luke chapter two, the shepherds. We read the verse of scripture earlier that says, the angel appeared to the shepherds and said, that unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Then the Bible says, suddenly the high was heaven on earth, great peace on whom his favor rests. And immediately, the Bible says those shepherds made a beeline for Bethlehem. In other words, they received the message and they believed the message. And they went to see this baby. But I love what it says right after that. In Luke chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say once they had met Jesus, they went and enrolled in seminary. It doesn't say they met him and then they became members of the local synagogue. They joined a life group. They took a discipleship class. No, they received the invitation. They sought the Savior, and when they had seen him, they spread the word. Immediately, it's normal 
to want to tell people about the good news. And I love the next verse because verse 18 says, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mind you, they weren't amazed at the shepherds. They were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Can I just remind somebody today, you don't have to be amazing to have amazing news. <clears throat> you don't have to be, to be impressive to impress people with the truth. We ought to be willing to share the good news without limitation. And listen, it's not only normal that we would share good news, it's actually expected of us. In fact, Jesus in, in Mark chapter 8 and verse 38, he had some really sobering words about his expectation of how we handle our relationship with him in front of others. He said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. I know we've, we've all succumbed to peer pressure before. And I don't take pleasure in being ridiculed for my faith or for being called out for something I've said or believed. But can I tell you what makes me way more uncomfortable than being an offense to somebody else or somebody, you know, mocking me for my convictions? What bothers me a whole lot more than that is the idea that one day I'm going to stand in the presence of God and Jesus might be ashamed of me. We, we ought to be willing to share the story without limitation. So I want to challenge you this Christmas Eve to put your faith in motion. To be like Anna, to seek Jesus without hesitation. To not hold back, to not say the journey's too long, to not say I don't know where to begin, but to recognize the moment that Jesus is in your proximity and to pursue him without another hesitation. I want to challenge you, like Anna, to worship God without reservation, to not hold out your praise until God does everything the way you want him to do it, when all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and everything makes sense. No, no, no. We worship God without reservation because he's God, because he's the only one in the room today that knows what tomorrow holds. He's worthy of our worship. I want to challenge you today, like Anna, to tell people the good news without limitation, to share the story of what God has done and is doing in your life. You're not underqualified to share good news. So today I want to invite you to respond. The way we respond is very similar to the way that Anna responded. I want you to see just the first part of that verse one more time. Luke 2.38 says, Coming up to them. It's that word coming that just jumped off the page at me. That's where we start. We just move in his direction. So today we're going to end this service with, with an, an outward expression, a movement of our faith. And I'm going to lead you in a time of communion. Now, as you came in, there was a little plastic bag on your seat that has a communion cup in it and a candle. I want to invite you to take that communion cup out right now, if you would. For those of you watching online, if, if you don't have anything to take communion with there, just enjoy this moment of worship with us. I want to invite you to just peel back the top layer of that cup and get the little wafer out and just hold on to it. In a moment, we will...
peel back that second layer to get to the juice. As you hold these elements in your hand, I want you to know today that we practice an open communion in this church. And what I mean by that is you don't have to be a member here of this church. But according to the scripture, you should be a believer. Now, if you're here today and you say, well, I'm not really a Christian. I, I came today because it's Christmas Eve and I don't really know where I stand with God. Can I just encourage you that this could be an incredible moment for you to express faith in Jesus. Sometimes in our church, we'll have people raise a hand to say, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. Sometimes we'll have them come to the altar and, and we'll pray over them. But what we do outwardly is not nearly as important as what happens in our heart. And can I encourage you today, if maybe you feel like you've been far from God, you haven't been seeking Him, and you recognize this is my moment, this is my Anna moment, to come to Jesus. In just a moment, as we receive the bread, a statement of faith. You see, the bread that we hold, it represents the body of Jesus. And the fact that he came in a body is, is really important. In fact, the, the body of Jesus was the sign confirming the promise that the angels gave the shepherds. You remember what they told him. They said, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And 33 years later, when Jesus had given his life on the cross, he died for my sin and for your sin. And then three days later, he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. I know there's many people that say, well, if I had seen the empty tomb, I'd never doubt but you know, the Bible tells us that some of his own disciples still didn't believe. How could they? They saw the horrors of Golgotha's hill. They saw him pierced through his hands and his feet. They saw the crown of thorns shoved onto his head and the cat of nine tails that ripped his flesh from his back like ribbons. How could they believe? But they were gathered on a Sunday night behind a locked door and Jesus showed up in the room. And I want you to know what he said to them in that moment. It's recorded in Luke 24, verse 38. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why does doubt rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. You see, the body of Jesus is how they could identify him. And it was in a body that Jesus came to identify with us. At another place in scripture, in John 14, Jesus said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Knowing God has always been a mystery until God put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. And Isaiah beautifully prophesied 700 years before Jesus was born about what would happen to that body that's represented in the bread you're holding. Isaiah said his body was wounded for our transgressions. His body was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that bought our peace was put on his body. 
and by the stripes they put on his back, we are healed. It's through the body of Jesus that we identify with his humanity. It's because he had a body, because he felt pain, because he experienced loss and suffering and death. We know that he can relate to us. But while his body is symbolized in the bread, that's his humanity. But his blood, symbolized in the juice, speaks of his deity. You see, you and I, we're all a part of Adam's sinful fallen race. We're all the sons and the daughters of Adam and Eve. That's why it's so important that we understand that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And not only was Jesus born supernaturally and sinless, but he lived a sinless life. He died a sinless death. And he conquered death. And it's because of his blood that was shed for us as a perfect sacrifice on the cross that we have the privilege and the right to have a relationship with God. Because the Bible says that sin separates us from God. And we could never get into God's presence unless the penalty of our sin was paid for. And that's what the blood of Jesus did for us. So in this moment, as we eat the bread and drink the juice that represents his body, I want to pray for you. I want to invite you to bow your head with me and close your eyes all over this room. And before we receive these elements, just take a moment right now to talk to God. Maybe you want to pray a prayer something like this. God, thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross. Thank you that his body reminds me that you know what I'm going through. You know what I'm dealing with. You experienced sickness and pain and heartache and you wept over the future. God, you know where we're at. Thank you for sending Jesus to not only walk a mile in our shoes, but Lord, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that was spilled for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you died to pay the penalty that I owed. And I put my faith in what your blood accomplished. Because I confess my sins to you, I believe I'm forgiven. And Jesus, as I receive these elements on this Christmas Eve, God, see my heart saying, I want Jesus in my life. I want all of you, Lord. The bread together. Jesus, we receive you. It doesn't matter how many times you've blown it, how many mistakes you've made, how many willful sins you've committed. The blood of Jesus is enough. So as we receive the, the cup together, let's do it with a heart of thanksgiving that says, Jesus, thank you that my sins 
are gone in Jesus' name. Let's receive the cup together. I want to invite you to take that candle out of the bag and the candle holder. You can place that cup back in it. Once you have that candle in your hand, I want to invite you to stand all over this room. We're going to share in one more special moment as we light the candles on the Advent wreath for the final time in this Advent season. Every Sunday leading up to this moment, We've been lighting the candles that represent hope and love and joy and peace. But tonight, for the first time, we're going we're gonna to light the candle in the center. We're going to light the Christ candle. Before we light it, I want to share one more verse of Scripture with you from the Apostle Paul. It's right after he gives the church instructions about communion, which we just celebrated. At the end of that passage of Scripture, he says these words. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's those last three words that jumped off the page this week until he comes friends that's what advent is all about it's about the anticipation of his coming and can i tell you that for every prophecy in the word of god about the coming of the lord as a babe in a manger there are eight prophecies about his second coming so if you're here on this christmas eve and and you believe according to god's word that jesus was born in bethlehem's manger i want to tell you you've got eight times that many reasons on the same authority to believe that christ is coming again so today as we light the christ candle and we bring the house lights down i want to remind all of us today That Christ is within our reach. Not because we all are going to make a pilgrimage like the Magi did. To go to the place where he is. But he's within our reach. Because somebody. Who touched Jesus. Took a light. To somebody else. Who was standing in the darkness. And as we sing this final song and let this light spread throughout this sanctuary, I want you to allow the Spirit of God to remind you to tell somebody the good news without limitation. Let's share His light this season.